Well, good morning. Apparently, I am the very special guest speaker here with you today. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Uh, my name is Preston. I'm one of the pastors here at Eastside, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. Um, as, you, as you probably realize, uh, Pastor Kerry is taking a much-needed uh, rest, a vacation. Um, but I'm guessing um, before he returns, he's going to watch this service. And I'm wondering if we together could take just a moment and thank Pastor Kerry for his leadership over this season of COVID, which has obviously been very complex. Would you help me thank him right now? <laughs> Kerry, none of us are jealous of you. And that is the truth. Hey, um, it is wonderful to be with you, whether you're in the room with us or online. I'm so happy uh, to be here to share um, in processing a question. The question, what is your motivation? Do you ever wonder what motivates people? Why in the world do people do what they do? If you're anything like me, there's probably been a time in your life where you found yourself asking questions like, why in the world did they say that to me? How could they be so rude? <laughs> Why did they spend so much money on that? How could they be so selfish? That decision they made didn't make any sense. How in the world did they think that was a good idea? <laughs> Have you ever found yourself asking one of those questions or maybe something similar about someone else or maybe even about yourself? I know I have. Trying to understand why someone does what they do can be quite the mystery. But interestingly, I find myself much more likely to wonder about someone's motivation when the thing that they do is something I perceive as negative or ridiculous, maybe dangerous or downright evil. But what about the things that aren't so bad? Do you ever wonder what motivates a person to be generous? What motivates a person to be kind? Do you ever wonder what motivates a person to get up in front of the church on a Sunday morning and preach a sermon? <laughs> we might naturally assume that someone who does something that seems good has a healthy motivation. But as I've gotten older and taken more time to be introspective with God, I find that my motives aren't always healthy. Not only that, but I've found that my root motivation at the very core can be very difficult to discern, especially when the things on the surface seem good, when my behavior is being celebrated, when people think highly of me. You know, like when someone might say after the service, Preston, the message you shared today in church really encouraged me to be a better person, right? If the behavior seemed positive, it's easy to assume the motivation was positive too. But that's not always the case. If I really simplify the idea that I'm thinking about this morning, it's this. My root motivation either comes from a place of insecurity or a place of wholeness in Christ. Insecurity or wholeness in Christ. And as many of you might agree, Insecurity can be quite the theme of our lives. Now, growing up, insecurity for me was a constant battle. But I'm guessing you wouldn't have noticed just by looking at me. You would have seen me involved in church. I knew a lot of Bible verses. I was a 
fairly decent student. I never got in trouble. I helped out in all sorts of different ways, and I had a reputation for being a pretty great kid. Pat myself on the back. Let me give you an example of, of, one of one of these wonderful moments, right? I remember being in a vacation Bible school. Some of you know what I'm talking about. One where they had one of those competitions between the boys and the girls to bring in food items for a local ministry. As a well-respected member of the kids' church community, I was eager to go all out. I emptied my savings to bring in food for this righteous cause and felt very proud of myself carting in all my beans and rice. I'm sure that this moment looked good to everyone watching, but I can't help but wonder about my motives. Call me skeptical of my younger self, but was my desire to be generous really rooted in the Holy Spirit's work in my life, a place of wholeness? Or was my generous behavior rooted in a simple desire to collect more food items than the girls so I could be seen as the hero for the boys team, momentarily masking the insecurity I felt deep down, the desire to be truly known, loved, and valued. I'm just saying, the behavior was good, but it probably wasn't rooted in a place of wholeness, a place of security in Christ. Now, Follow that idea into adulthood right now here in this moment. As a pastor, I spend a lot of time caring about other people. And to be clear, if you've been on the receiving end of some of that care, I'd like to think I genuinely care about you. (laughs) But I still have to ask the question, what's my motivation? Am I motivated out of a place of wholeness in Christ a place where the Holy Spirit is literally empowering or animating my actions? Or am I motivated from a place of insecurity? Am I motivated from an emptiness that I hope will somehow be filled if enough people like me or think I'm helpful? It can be so hard to discern the motivations in the depths of our heart that give birth to our behaviors, even behaviors that seem good and holy or God-honoring. Now, Jesus addresses this idea of good behaviors that aren't really rooted in a place of wholeness when he says this in Matthew 7, to 23. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Quite possibly the most terrifying passage in the Bible for me. Now, I don't know about you, but someone who is prophesying and casting out demons would seem like an all-star Christian, right? But at the end of the day, life and death are experienced at our core, the very depth of our being, the place where our behavior is born. Now, to be clear, External behavior is obviously important. The world is a much better place when we're kind and generous to one another. But according to Jesus, good behavior isn't good enough if we want to experience true life, both now and into eternity. So today, I want all of us to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal our motivations. Are we motivated from a place of wholeness and new life in Christ? or place of insecurity and death that will ultimately leave us empty.
Now, as we continue, I want us to all do our very best to embrace a posture of prayer, an attitude of prayer, if you will. As I said before, our motivation can be really difficult to discern. And my hope is that each of us will prayerfully create space in our own heart and our own mind for the Holy Spirit to reveal what needs to be revealed and to heal what needs to be healed. To reveal what needs to be revealed and to heal what needs to be healed. So that each of us, no matter where we find ourselves in this moment, can take a step into greater wholeness, the fullness of life Jesus died to give us. So we're gonna pray, but at the end of the prayer, I'm not gonna say amen, because I want us to continue in an attitude of prayer, allowing space for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. All right, let's pray together. God, right now in this space, whether online or in this room, God, we open ourselves up to you. Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you to be our source. We are desperate for you to reveal the places within us, God, that that need to be revealed. And we're desperate for you to bring healing in the places where there needs to be healing. God, we thank you that you're a God of love, a God who desires to bring wholeness and reconciliation into our lives and our relationships and in this world. And so God, today, we do our very best to create space for you. Now, there's a story in the life of the early church that really highlights the idea of motivation. It comes in Acts chapter five. But before we get into that, let me set the stage of what's actually happening in this season. It comes in the time period not long after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. At this point, Jesus has already returned to heaven and the Holy Spirit has arrived. As you may remember when that happens, the Holy Spirit shows up. The apostles are empowered to proclaim the truth about Jesus with great boldness and clarity and power. People are being healed. The poor are being cared for. This newly empowered Jesus movement is literally marked by love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit was obviously being displayed in their lives. Now this movement, led by the ragtag group of spirit-filled disciples, was gaining traction. People were literally flocking to the way of Jesus. It was a beautiful picture of redemption, of restoration, and reconciliation. The kingdom of God was being established, and the body of Christ, right, the outpost of heaven, if you were, here on earth, was literally growing. Now, as all that was happening, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, highlights a man named Joseph, who, because of his faith in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, he generously sells a piece of property and brings the money he receives to the apostles. He's portrayed as a prominent example of those within the Jesus movement who were generously sharing what they had to meet the needs of others within the growing community of faith. Interestingly, the man Joseph is so highly respected for his positive impact that the apostles literally give him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Not a bad thing, right? At this point, things are looking great. (laughs) But immediately after the celebration of Barnabas, we find the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five, verses one to 11. 
I want us to pay really close attention to this story. And as I read it to you, I want you to think with me about the idea of motivation. I want us to ask the question, what might have been the core motivation for Ananias and Sapphira? This is what it says in verse one. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The properties was, was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Those are words you never want to hear. <laughs> as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about this was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard about what had happened. Can we say yikes? <laughs> There's a lot of things we could say about this story, but I really want us to ask the question, what was their motivation? I mean, did Ananias and Sapphira decide to give money in the first place for a good motive or a bad motive? Was it because they, they wanted to, to recognize, be recognized like Barnabas? Was it because they, they wanted to somehow please God? Was it because they thought being generous was the right thing to do? And why did they hold back some of the money and then lie about it? Did they feel like they needed the money for something else? Were they worried that if they gave everything, God wouldn't provide for their needs? Did they think having that money would somehow bring them a sense of security? It's hard telling. But at the end of the day, it all seems to point back to a desire to cling to control as a result of a deep-seated insecurity. You could say insecurity was the root. Their desire to cling to control was the fruit. Insecurity was the root. The desire to cling to control was the root, the fruit. <laughs> it reminds me of Adam and Eve who were convinced that God's goodness wasn't enough, that God was holding back from them, that God's version of good couldn't be trusted. So what did they do? Well, they saw the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They saw that it looked good, nourishing in a way that they thought would be better than what they were currently experiencing. So they grasped for control. And in so doing, they disconnected themselves from the source of life and wholeness. They fell victim to insecurity 
And as a result, death entered the world. Ananias and Sapphira, they were no different. They were operating from a perspective of scarcity. They thought they bought the lie that says, there won't be enough for me if I truly trust God with everything. They failed to trust God's goodness through Jesus. And instead of experiencing wholeness and security in Christ, they clung to the fruit, something that seemed good as a means for their security or status before God and the community. And when they did, well, their insecurity got the better of them. And the result was death. Their insecurity motivated their decisions and that path leads to death every time. I wonder if anybody can relate. I wonder if there are things you might be trusting to bring you security, to bring you meaning, to bring you worth other than Jesus. Even things that might seem good. Have you ever tried to compensate for a deep-seated insecurity by performing at a high level or accomplishing things that, that make you stand out? Have you ever tried everything you could to earn other people's respect or affection because of the insecurity that you feel? Have you ever tried to convince yourself that your feelings of, of emptiness aren't even real? Or have you stayed so busy or distracted that you don't even know how you feel? Have you tried to gain security by going the extra mile time and time again, even when it's unhealthy, all to feel valuable, respected, or loved? Have you ever been reliant on money or possessions to bring you a sense of security or to positively influence how you feel about yourself? Or how about this? Have you ever felt like you had to earn God's love by your actions or words? That somehow your good behavior would make up for your past mistakes and failures? Have you ever let your feelings of emptiness or insecurity be the driving force behind any of your actions or your approach to life? I know I have. I know I have. But today... I want us to really hear these words of Jesus. Listen to this. He said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This literally means that our direction, our foundation, our very life, both now and forever, is rooted in Jesus and what he has done, not anything we accomplish or produce on our own. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This means that Jesus is eager to give us life to the fullest, the life we were created to experience. And he made this abundant life possible through his perfect life, his redemptive death on the cross, and his hope-filled resurrection where he defeated death forever. It's a gift that all of our good behavior combined could never earn. And Jesus said in John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This means that no matter how hard we try, 
No matter how much money we make, how many followers we have, how many kind things we do, or even how many sermons we preach, if our actions aren't rooted in the abundance and wholeness of Christ, inevitably, it will amount to nothing in light of eternity. So, if we want to experience life to the fullest, which I hope that you do, (laughs) we have to understand our motivation because it's literally the difference between life and death. Now, speaking of death, if you're wrestling with why Ananias and Sapphira immediately drop dead, I'm right there with you. It's a tricky part of the story that's worth exploring and asking questions about, but here is what I know for sure. At the end of the day, it is not a stretch to see that when we try to fix our insecurity, that place of emptiness that exists that only God can fill, when we try to fix that through our own power and clinging for control, the results aren't great. Just think with me. If everything in this life is reliant on you, if it's up to you to somehow fill yourself, to achieve wholeness in your own power, what happens when life hits the fan? What happens when the world spirals out of control? What happens when there's a pandemic that you can't fix? I know for me, the past two years of my life have highlighted my desire to cling for control in the face of chaos. And if I'm honest, that desire hasn't always been a recipe for a healthy life. Can you say stress? worry, anxiety. Think about how that impacts our bodies. When the weight of the world is on our shoulders, we inevitably find ourselves crawling through life overwhelmed, paralyzed by fear, worrying ourselves to death. It's a life that is so far from life to the fullest, so far from the good life Jesus died to give. So back to my original question, what's my motivation? What's your motivation? Are we motivated from a place of wholeness and security in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or are we motivated from a place of emptiness and insecurity? The external behavior is not always a good way to measure because they can literally look the same. But one path leads to life, life to the fullest both now and into eternity. The other path leads to death. So as we kind of wrap up our time together here in just a couple minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to honestly process as best you can this idea with God. I want you to be honest, vulnerable. Where are the places you might be motivated from a place of insecurity instead of wholeness in Christ? Where are you trying to cling to control instead of truly trusting God to be God? Where are you fighting to create your own safety net in the middle of what feels chaotic or unstable? King David, a prominent figure in scripture, knew this same struggle quite well, but he also knew how important it was to get honest and vulnerable with God to create space for God to reveal places in our hearts where we're prone to cling to control and are motivated from insecurity. 
he wrote a powerful prayer that I'm going to read over you here in a couple minutes. And, and after that, what I want us to do is take a few moments of silence to process with God, asking the question, what's my motivation? But before we do that, before we process with God, I want us to literally take a moment to prepare our hearts. So if you would oblige me in this moment, let's get comfortable. You might want to put both feet flat on the floor in front of you, perhaps even putting your hands open in front of you in a posture of openness. We want to embrace an openness physically that also reflects the spiritual openness to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that we're seeking. And as we begin, maybe simply breathing deeply, allowing this to be a moment of rest and peace with God, I would encourage you to begin to pray these words as a breath prayer, perhaps. Here I am, Lord, every part of me. Here I am, Lord, every part of me. Here I am, Lord, every part of me. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Maybe this is the start of your prayer today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. As we rest in this moment, ask the question with God, what might be motivating your decisions, your actions, your desires, your priorities? Are you clinging to control or is God your source? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, we are desperate for you, for you to reveal what needs to be revealed so you can heal what needs to be healed. 
God, we trust you because you are good. You are the source of life. And we claim that today. So here's the good news. Jesus already knows our hearts. And the reality is we all struggle with insecurity, but that's not a surprise to God. At the same time though, the enemy of our soul is a master at convincing us that being real and vulnerable before God is gonna somehow backfire in our faces. But here's the truth. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, the way to life and wholeness and loving relationship with God, our creator, is available to each of us, no matter who we are, what we've done, what we even think. This extravagant gift of love, it's available to you and to me. But experiencing life to the fullest requires us to vulnerably meet Jesus at the place of our deepest need and insecurity. And in that place where we come to the end of ourselves and truly recognize our need for Jesus, as we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, Jesus meets us there, not with judgment, not with punishment, but with open arms ready to journey with us as the source of life and wholeness both now and forever. So today, the call of Jesus is the exact same for all of us, and it's this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. As we worship in the coming moments, let's be real. Let's open ourselves up and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal what needs to be revealed and heal what needs to be healed. Amen.